The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In The Exodus Story, Hillsdale College professor of English Justin Jackson picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in The Exodus Story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E. Hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. Welcome to Hillsdale College's Classical Education Podcast, bringing you insight into classical education and its unique emphasis on human virtue and moral character, responsible citizenship, content-rich curricula, and teacher-led classrooms. And now your host, Scott Bertram. Thanks for listening. We're joined today by Dr. Anika Prather. She's a teacher in English at Howard University and also founder of a Living Water School in Maryland. And she joins us today as part of our continuing series on leading figures in education. Dr. Prather, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And we talk with you today about one of the most prominent African-American scholars in U.S. history. Uh, that is Anna Julia Cooper. So, Dr. Prather, please begin by telling us a little bit more about Anna Julia Cooper. Who, who, who was she? Uh, when was she alive? What, what's her background? What should we know about her? She um, was born in 1850, somewhere between 1854, 1856. Um, and she remained in slavery, enslaved till about 10 years old after emancipation. Um, she um, is said to have been the daughter of her slave master. Um, but she remained with her mother. She was not separated from her family. She remained with her mom, grandfather, and two older brothers on the plantation. Um, and she, after emancipation, she um, enrolled in St. Augustine's Normal School. And this is really important. To Her story is so important for all of us to kind of understand the, 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 the origins of Black education like coming out of slavery. And through hearing her story, you learn how much classical education was an important part of that early education of newly freed people. So St. Augustine's Normal School was one of the schools set up um, with some of the support came from the Freedmen's Bureau that Abraham Lincoln, the agency Abraham Lincoln set up um, and some other um, Christian organizations started St. Augustine's Normal School to educate the newly freed people and they were all educated classically. So they were learning Latin, Greek, logic, the, the um, um, various works of, of classic literature from the ancient times. And so, um, and, and, and they kind of had two programs. The purpose of the school was to either train teachers, which a lot of women went that, that way, or preachers, a lot of, you know, the men went that way. And, the, and the, the tracks had it so that women learned domestic duties with a little sprinkling of classics. And the men learned 
like a fully, you know, immersed program in classics. And Anna Julia Cooper basically protested that I want what the men are getting. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want to be in here just ironing clothes and learning how to wash dishes and make beds. I want what they're getting. And she continued as a, as a young child between 10 and 12 years old, 10 and 10 years old or somewhere in her teens to just say, I want that. And so it started with them allowing her to sit in on the men's classes till eventually um, they allowed girls to be able to take the, the, the men's courses is what they call it, something like that. And so that was her beginnings. She just fell in love with classical education um, and the study of classics. And she became so good at it that they made her something like a junior teacher hmm. where the, um, the teachers would allow her to tutor other black people in this classical tradition. And um, and and a lot of these students that she had were older than she was. But that was also the beginning of her coming to see she had been called to be a teacher. Yes. And, she, and and in that calling, she she adhered to classical education specifically. And that was her passion until she died at over about one hundred and five years old to, to teach classically to the black community. Um, she made, and then she ended up getting a BA in math. Uh, so imagine that her BA was in math, <laughs> but she had extensive training in classics. Um, and then after graduating from Oberlin, she got a master's in math. She just continued to further her education. After that, um, she, you know, continued to teach throughout the U.S., finally ending up at the M Street School in Washington, D.C., where she continued to teach black students classically. M Street School, I think, was the one and first, the first and only uh, public school for black students in DC. And so she taught there, teaching classically. She taught logic, she taught Latin, she taught um, all of the Greek um, stories, Plato, the myths, the tragedies, all of that, oftentimes teaching in full Latin. Um, and requiring her students to do the same, to, hmm. to speak and learn in the same way, um, and that what and 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 she she worked her way up the ladder there at the M Street School, by and eventually became the principal there, and she was the first black female principal in the D.C. area. So, what was that school like under her leadership? What accomplishments were achieved? Most of her students went on to some of the top universities in the United States, oftentimes breaking racial barriers where they went. Um, and there's a, there was a, a Catholic priest, a friar, who was traveling from France to just get an idea of what America's school system was like. And so he was looking at all types of, of schooling in America and he visited the M Street School and he wrote this report from that visit uh, comparing the students under Anna Julia Cooper's leadership with other uni- with other um, K-12 schools in the nation that were predominantly white. And he determined that this classical, this, this immersion in classical education caused the students of the M Street School to actually seem to perform better than students from other schools. Now, that sounds to you and I, that sounds like, oh, that's wonderful. We clap our hands. It's so beautiful. But uh-huh. that did not make some people very happy because that canceled a narrative that people thought about black people's intellect. And and with Anna Julia Cooper teaching them classically and the way uh, black people 
just really gra- grabbed a hold of the classical tradition. Um, and it, it just enlightened them. It, it, it inspired them. It freed them. Um, they really began to soar under this type of education. And seg- of course, desegregation hadn't happened. The Freedmen's Bureau was still functioning uh, after Lincoln's uh, assassination. It began to crumble. But those schools and those who came out of those schools were still uh, um, thriving. And so, but when that report came out and this, this, this rumor starts that the students of the M Street School are just performing well, they're being successful. Um, and then with the move away from uh, the classical schools that the Freedmen's Bureau was setting up and the, and the, and the more Booker T. Washington's uh, philosophy of industrial education for black students became more and more popular, especially in the South uh, with the Board of Education there was a move to stop Anna Julia Cooper and other teachers from teaching black students classically. And that's, hmm. that's not anything that I'm making up or assuming that's written. Hmm. And you would have to, you know, do your research, but it's written throughout various Du Bois has a lot of writing on this move to take classical education from the black community, replacing it with industrial education. Anna Julia, Anna Julia Cooper was at the center of that conflict. And sadly, it would seem that Booker T. Washington and the Board of Education and those who did not want to see Black students thrive under this type of education, they began to win. Hmm. And and before long, they made their way to M Street School. And as a result of Anna not um, refusing to stop teaching that way, she lost her job temporarily. And it was around that time, instead of becoming distraught, she decided to pursue her Ph.D., and she did. She earned her Ph.D. Um, she continued to teach at M Street School only as a teacher, never again as a principal. She was demoted uh, due to her stance um, and she was content with that. Um, Anna Julia Cooper was so beautiful. She was such a um, connector. She, instead of her choosing sides in the Booker T. Washington Du Bois fight, she saw that both of them were relevant. Hmm. And her work sought to bring the two philosophies together. She was so passionate about seeing that this was a tool of liberation for Black people. And, and, she, and she felt that this tool could be used as a part of civil rights for Black people. Um, and she continued this work rooted in the classical tradition until she died at almost 105 years old. It is an amazing story. You yes. mentioned multiple times her deep love and passion for classical education. What is it about that style of teaching and learning that you think most appealed to Anna Julia Cooper? That's an easy question. I, you know, for all those centuries that Black people were enslaved, the literacy of the nation was legally kept from them. Like, if you were caught reading, if you were caught writing, if you had any connection to the education of that time. See, the, the main way people anybody was educated in America was classically. That, that was the philosophy of education most people had, even if you were self-taught. Abraham Lincoln was self-taught. I don't think he finished elementary school, right, mm-hmm. or junior high school, but he read classics as well as Frederick Douglass. And so those stories like that, and when you read a lot of slave narratives and they mention these classic texts that inspire their work, all the way up through just before desegregation, I mean, you— Uh, From Martin Luther King to members of the Black Panther, 
the classical tradition was a part of our educational uh, program until desegregation. Really, um, there was always an attack to remove it, uh, but it wasn't until desegregation that that was pretty much um, made obsolete. And so because that was the world that Anna Julia Cooper was in that, you know, when she's enslaved, she's looking at the master's library and what is she seeing on the shelf? Classic text. So that's what she naturally gravitated to. And um, and so she was passionate about it because from her personal experience, she saw the enlightenment that happened as a result as a result of having access to this literacy. When I did my dissertation, my one of my students helped me see why she was passionate and others were passionate about it. And my student told me, I feel like I've been given a key hmm. to a language I never understood. Now, this is in the 2000s that someone is like 2015. Someone is a student, a former student of mine. She's in her 20s when she says that to me. Uh, but she was my student through high school in my um, great books course. And so she said, but I, I've been given a key learning Latin, learning these texts. I understand the news. I understand movies now. I understand <laughs> some of the Latin logos that are around me. Uh uh, think something, things as simple as where do we get the word Atlas from? You know, all of that, you know, it's, and so when people talk about removing classics or classical education, that's a real dangerous conversation to have mm -hmm. because people are not understanding how much America is infused with the classical tradition. It is everywhere. So when you, when you remove it, you remove a literacy from everyone. And so Anna Julia Cooper saw that. So she saw the the enlightenment that happened within her as she grabbed a hold. It wasn't just, you know, there were there are some people who look at classics as a way to say, I'm elitist, I'm better because I know this knowledge and you don't. That was not Anna Julia Cooper. And I tend to try to stay away from those people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but go ahead. I was gonna say if you had to describe or if Anna Julia Cooper were asked to describe her belief. And what was the purpose of education? How, how do you think she might describe that? I, I think the first thing would be liberation. You know, going back to the, the question you asked a moment ago about another thing that she saw in it is it gave black people a voice because without language, you don't have a voice because if without the language of the, it's kind of like, and, and, and I want to break this down really clearly because just so people can understand mm -hmm. if I were to say, I'm going to go move to France. But I don't know any French. I don't know anything about the culture, the language of the land. Would I have a voice? If I stood out and tried to make myself known or teach in their schools or find my way in a career in that space, in a, in a country where I don't know the language, would I have a voice? No one would hear me. I would just be speaking English. It would be gibberish. That pretty much is the the, the African uh, 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 people who came to America and, and their children being enslaved. They weren't allowed to learn this literacy. Whatever English they got was broken. It was an, another form to just help them have some understanding of what the master was telling them to do. Uh, and so they and so not being able to have access to this this foundational literacy uh, really crippled them, really silenced their voices. And so when Anna Julia Cooper learned Latin when she learned the Latin roots of words, when she learned where a lot of the things around her were coming from through all of the works of Plato or Aristotle or the Greek myths, the tragedies and so in Rome, Roman liter literary works, 
as she as 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 my student said, as this key was given to her, she felt a sense of liberation, and others have felt the same way. And then that liberation gave her this language mm. that she can communicate in a very clear English to all people the plight of her people without being dismissed as oh, what is that language she's speaking? Oh, she's inferior, or she doesn't, she's not speaking what we know. And 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 and, and the beautiful thing is. Something Anna Julia Cooper does and a lot of early black writers do is they use classics in their writings as a way to illustrate their points, Mm -hmm. which created a bridge and actually helped white people realize this. What we're doing to these, these people is wrong. Talking with Dr. Anika Prather about uh, Anna Julia Cooper on this leading figures in education podcast. Where do you think or where would you say that we see Cooper's ideas most at play in American education today? In classical schools, I'm really, um, I'm blessed by this classical education renewal movement. Um, I'm also really blessed by the efforts of many of these schools and school leaders and universities that support this movement of welcoming the voices of Black people and people of color into the conversation. And what I see us doing together is uh, there's a kind of it's not a joke, but kind of a joke. It's um, if we go back to Abraham Lincoln, right, when he um, he hasn't been assassinated yet. It's coming towards the end of the Civil War. He sets up this agency called the Freedmen's Bureau. It had other uh, roles and responsibilities, but one of its main tasks was to set up schools so that black people coming out of slavery could be educated so that they could be civil servants. They could join in in politics. They could join in uh, with as an equal citizenship in America. He was assassinated um, just as that's getting off the ground. But the schools continue. The, the director of the Freedmen's Bureau was Oliver Howard, who was president of Howard University. Not a perfect man, but these schools, such as Howard University, St. Augustine, um, Fisk University were rooted in the classical tradition. And this process began where Black people were getting educated in the classical tradition and they were beginning to progress in society. They were not just, you know, field hands anymore. They weren't being paid to uh, fix things around the farm. They were becoming educators, politicians. Uh, They were taking on more professional positions in society as a result of this kind of education that allowed them to get acclimated into civilian life. When, a- when Abraham Lincoln died, when he was assassinated, though, Andrew Johnson became president. Not Andrew Jackson, Andrew Johnson. Right. And he ended that. He began a, a slow, steady process of ending that effort of reconstruction where black people could move towards true equality in every way. Classical education was playing a major role in that effort. Well, Andrew Johnson comes in and begins to shut down that work. So, he, you know, he does the work of shutting down the Freedmen's Bureau and, and, and he messes up that process. And one thing I always say is, guys, Andrew Johnson got us off focus. We're all, myself included, we all have been on the path Andrew Johnson was trying to set. Andrew Johnson coming in also ushered in Jim Crow. There was no more protection for Black people who were now freed from the violence of whites who who were angry about their freedom. So you see a rise in lynchings. You see Jim Crow and and segregation become become laws of the land as a result of Andrew Johnson. And we've kind of been stuck on that path. And so education became inferior to Black people. Classical education slowly began to be removed from Black people. That's all Andrew Johnson was the catalyst for that. 
So what I like to say is the classical education movement, this renewal movement that we're in now, as I talk to people like Brian Williams at Eastern University or Jeremy Tate at the Classical Learning Test or Angela, uh, Dr. Angela Parham at, um, uh, uh, I think she's at UVA now. When I talk to Dr. Brian Williams, Dr. Uh, Parham and, and Jeremy Tate and, and so many others, and Cornell West now, who's joined the conversation, we put our heads together and we realize we need to go back to what Abraham Lincoln was trying to do. We need to pick up that mantle and, and let's do this over again. Hmm. And so I see the classical renewal movement. We see now uh, uh, classical charter schools popping up. Um, Washington Latin is now in D.C. And we see other classical schools. Uh, I think the... Um, is it uh, Hillsdale, you know, is, is starting these charter schools. And then we have the Great Hearts Movement. These are people that are partnering with Black people who also understand this narrative. And we're trying to go back to what Abraham Lincoln and Oliver Howard, founder of Howard University, were trying to do. Um, trying to, They tried to use their position as white people to bring Black people out of that place of inferiority, especially in the area of education. And as long as we do that from a place of truth, not, not to make people assimilate or to see their Black culture or their African heritage as something inferior, but we see this as a tool for making America a more perfect union. This is our country. We share this space. Mm-hmm. As long as we're using this as a way to help Black people give voice to the concerns they still have in their communities, to those in power that can help change that narrative, as long as we're doing that, this could be a very powerful thing. And I, again, I'm excited about the notion of going back, giving honor to Abraham Lincoln, who lost his life. I, I, I can't prove it, but I almost feel like he lost his life. We, we see Abraham Lincoln go through a transition. He went from saying things like, you know, if I could save the country without freeing the slaves, I would. That, I mean, he said that, but that's not where it ends. That's one of his earlier statements. If we go further down in history, closer to when he dies, and if you look at his second inaugural address, he acknowledges the sin of how uh, Black people were treated in this country. And he was still growing. He still wasn't perfect. But you begin to see a change in his mindset through his friendship with Frederick Douglass and so on. And so this these creation of schools and trying to figure out ways where Black people can be brought into equality and, and equal civilian life, he was on that path. And I, I, I have an assumption, a theory that that's probably one of the reasons he got killed. Mm. And that's really heartbreaking to think about it like that. I'm excited about the classical education movement because we are giving honor to Abraham Lincoln and the sacrifice he made by trying to make that evolution in himself during such a tense time in American history. And I see us going back and picking up the mantle for him. Final question about Anna Julia Cooper. If there are listeners who would like to explore her a bit further, do you have any books or writings uh, if people want to learn a bit more about her? Yes, I, I would say the greatest resource for her is a book called, you can get it on Amazon, The Voice of Anna Julia Cooper. And uh, the, the editors are Charles Lemert and Esme Bond. And um, it's really amazing because it includes all of her speeches, all of her essays, excerpts from her journal, personal journal, as well as poems that she wrote. 
And I want to read this poem, if you don't mind, just in closing, that captures um, her passion for the work she was doing. And it's called No Flowers, Please. And she says, oh, just a rose, perhaps a few violets, or even a handful of wild honeysuckle, or Star of Bethlehem and Sweet Alyssum, which says you remember kindly. For this, I shall thank you wherever I am and more for the courage and strength you gave in the struggle we call life. By the touch of your shoulder to shoulder and the understanding glance of your eye and the hearty pull together of a sympathetic heart, priceless and undying, these as God's gracious bounty. And I shall thank you wherever I am. But please, please don't pass the hat for a big florist offering or take up a collection to crowd the room and cover my poor beer with mute withering symbols of God's eternal love and Christ's unspeakable prayer, agonizing that we all should be one and love one another, even as he and the father are one in love. No flowers, please. Just the smell of sweet understanding, the knowing look that sees beyond and says gently and kindly, somebody's teacher on vacation now, resting for the fall opening. Hmm. That's Anna Julia Cooper. She was a deep woman of Christian faith. She loved the Lord and she saw her work as a part of um, spreading the word of God to her community. Dr. Anika Prather, she is a teacher in English at Howard University, founder of the Living Water School in Maryland, as we talk today on the Hillsdale College Classical Education podcast about Anna Julia Cooper, part of our Leading Figures in Education series. Dr. Prather, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Scott Bertram. We invite you to like us on Facebook. Search for Hillsdale College K-12 Classical Education. You also can follow us on Instagram at Hillsdale underscore K-12. Hillsdale underscore K-12 on Instagram. And check out our website, k12.hillsdale.edu. Thank you for listening to the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast. Mm -hmm.